my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we're going to have ourselves a few laughs, because we're going to be talking about spoof movies. And surely you can't be serious. <laughs> Please don't call me surely. Ah, got that gag perfectly. <laughs> it's all about the timing. Uh, so this is an interesting episode, because we're talking about comedy, which I think that out of Anything that we could talk about is the most difficult to articulate if why bams, we like something. If it bends, it's funny. Yep. If it breaks, it's not funny. <laughs> Tragedy is a man cutting his fingers. Comedy is a man falling down a open manhole and dying. Comedy is a man in trouble. <laughs> well, okay. What's that from? I don't know. That was uh, Jerry Lewis said that. Oh, did, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he died a sad and lonely man. But let's not focus on the sad parts like the end of Jerry Lewis's life let's focus on the funny stuff like the output of Zaz and that is David Zucker Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrahams we should maybe say that we'll be kind of looking at the history of the spoof movie Mm -hmm. decade by decade and (laughs) And we're starting in the 1900s comedy began with and later on we'll be getting to you know the modern day practitioners of the spoof movie Jason Friedberg and Aaron (laughs) Seltzer Perhaps it's a little arbitrary that we're starting with the Zaz boys, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of where the modern spoof movie begins, right? I, I don't think that we could talk about spoof in any earlier context and like people could come out of the woodwork and go, well, look at these, this spoof, like hell's a pop and making fun of all of this yeah. stuff like or, this. Or what about uh, Mel Brooks? Exactly. Well, we talked about the Mel Brooks we weren't going to discuss in this episode because yeah. he deserves his own hour dedicated to him. But also the Zucker brothers and Abraham seem to have created a whole other kind mm. of, maybe not a whole other kind of thing, but they... They created something that's like the rapid fire. Yeah, you know, kind of where, jokes. Yeah, and, joke, 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 joke. And uh, the Zuckers and Abrahams came out of like doing sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. Their first big show was like Kentucky Fried Theater. Exactly. Yes. Uh, they were able to take this kind of sketch comedy and move it into the filmic realm. Man, I'm using a bunch of big academic words that I'm making up. Hey, listen, before we talk a little more about the Zuckers, Do you like spoof movies? I love spoof movies. And I'm going to say this right off the top. I'm not even saving this as like the conclusion to this whole episode. The reason I love spoof movies are not the spoof parts of it. Mm. And I would really like to meet somebody who goes, oh, my favorite parts is when they make fun of things that are popular at the time of their release. I just like to be reminded of things I know about. (laughs) I like to be reminded of movies that came out six months ago. (laughs) Or sometimes have not even come out, as is the case with Disaster Movie, where there was a joke from Hancock, Mm. which was only in the trailer. I probably, before this episode, would have said that I am a casual fan of spoof movies. Having prepared for this episode, I think it is, at times, my least favorite genre. Really? I mean, a bad spoof movie? Mm -hmm. Oh my god, there's nothing worse. Well, I think that when people talk about their love for spoof movies, often what they love is an extension of that Zazz brand. It's not specifically spoof, but spoof itself became an extension of that. But I'm sorry... The Zucker Brothers, even though they were great, Mm -hmm. they also uh, paved the way for a lot of less funny people because in the Zucker Brothers movies, like not every joke had to be great. Mm -hmm. It just had to be really fast. And Mm -hmm. there were also a lot of jokes in a movie like Airplane where it's like, oh, this is the joke is that it's so lame. Yes. And so that liberated less talented people to make a movie like, say, Epic Movie or Meet the Spartans, where it could be like, 
well, every joke's lame. But <laughs> or plump fiction. Or plump fiction. Or I don't know. Uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One is great. How dare you? Will? I'm sorry. I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> um, 2001: A Space Travesty. I mean, that's bad. That's a whole other genre, which is a Leslie Nielsen on his past to death film series. Okay, so we'll get to that. Let's get back to the Zuckers. <laughs> so the Zucker brothers, they were silly. Like that was their comedy, and it was often like an extension of something like Mad Magazine, which is just this wacky kind of anything goes comedy with some very specific rules in place that would define where the laughs come from. Yeah, I found an article which I forgot to make any notes on. Yeah, that David Zucker wrote, right? Yeah, it was like the 15 rules of spoof movies. And one of them is like, if there's a gag in the background, what's happening in the foreground has to be serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't have a gag on top of a gag. Well, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's mostly because he viewed movies as like, he doesn't want to waste a gag in the background or something is happening in the foreground. But it's important to have these rules. Mm -hmm. They may not have created these rules at the start. They may have been rules that occurred to them when they had to define their craft. But like... For comedy to work, it has to have a certain internal logic. It does. And I think looking at something like Airplane, it's very clear what their comedy path is, which is that everyone in this film has to play it straight. Mm -hmm. You cannot... Be aware that what you're doing is a gag, because if you do, it will completely destroy the reality of what is happening. And by the way, that's why it was funny that Leslie Nielsen briefly became a big comedy star, Mm -hmm. because he's not an actually funny guy. I mean, I don't know about that. Oh, come on. I feel that in the 90s, people were using Leslie Nielsen in the incorrect way. Mm -hmm. Like putting him in Mr. Magoo is not to Leslie Nielsen's strengths. Right. He's he's an old like ham actor, an Mm -hmm. old dramatic actor who funny things happen to. He's not the source of the comedy. I I don't know. The way he kind of delivers some of his lines, it's all about timing. You know what? You're right. I I shouldn't undercut Leslie Nielsen to that extent. Now, I think that Will is taking a position that many people take when they talk about spoof movies. It's a dumb genre made by people who have disdain for their audiences. Well, not all spoof movies. No, because, for example, Airplane is, you know, the pinnacle when you talk about these kind of films. Uh, This was a film that was directed by David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker. Uh, their first one, Kentucky Fried Movie, had, was directed by John Landis. And it's very funny, gotta yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some missed parts in it, but there's some really high hits as well. Well, the Under the Dragon spoof. Yeah, is which is 40 minutes long. Absolutely top-notch. And, I, I haven't seen it in a few years. And Kentucky Fried Movie led to, like, a series of those sketch comedy movies, like The Groove Tube and <laughs> yeah, stuff like right. that, which right. my dad used to say was the funniest movie he's ever seen. Dad, you were incorrect. <laughs> I saw it on film at a film festival and woof, was it brutal. Wow. Imagine that. The groove tube about 35 millimeter. millimeter. It may have been 16 millimeter. But Airplane is a film that they actually took a screenplay from a movie that had already been made zero hour. They bought the rights and they technically remade it. And a lot of the dialogue, I think there are mm. YouTube compilations where they like do scenes side by side. A lot of the dialogue comes straight out of zero hour. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the seriousness that really like gives you the framework for the jokes. Because when you have something so serious, then you swerve into comedy. And that comedy can't just be something random Mm -hmm. because that's not necessarily funny. What's funny is like uh, misunderstanding, which is the root of really all comedy that's not based in pain. Yeah. In the bad spoof movies that I watched this Mm -hmm. week, I mean, it's such a, like, cliche thing to say, but, you know, so much of what's important in comedy is the element of surprise. Mm -hmm. And 
when I watched a movie that I know you like, I'm sorry, Jane Austen's Mafia. Mwah, love it. There were too many scenes in that movie where I thought, yeah, of course, this is the gag that would happen yes. here. Whereas His Eric- dick is so big that it knocks stuff around in the room. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in Airplane, you know, when one of the people says, oh, the shit's really going to hit the fan. And then it cuts to another room where there's like literally a fan and shit hits <laughs> yep. it. That's surprising. Yeah, I think that when we watch some of the bad spoof movies, it's that like setting up of the gag where you're like, oh, no, please, no. And then you get exactly that one thing (laughs) that that's what hurts the most. And like you said, the surprise or the twist of it (laughs) of like, oh, that makes sense that they went here, but I did not expect them to do that. That's what's funny. Or in Airplane, there's a scene in the flashback to, like, the bar. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the rough and tough bar where, like, the camera pulls out and it reveals that the two poker players who are about to have a fight are Girl Scouts. Yes. And so that's only so funny. But then their fight gets so brutal where mm. one of them throws the other one off a staircase and, like, they crash through a table. It's that twist on it that's funny. And then there's a scene where they do the Saturday Night Fever parody. Like, that's not inherently funny in itself. It sounds a bit lame when you when it's... Yeah, but there's jokes in there that are not specifically related (laughs) to Saturday Night Fever, and that's why it's so funny. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that Airplane, while it's held, like, in such high regard because it was the first one to really, like, get it right, my personal favorite of their films has to be Top Secret. Well, I will say that after watching top secret this week Mm -hmm. i immediately put on airplane after and while i still think airplane's a great comedy yes it suffered in comparison (laughs) so top secret is like the zazz guys they just figured out like what's funny and they pushed it that much further and the fact that they don't like the movie that much and they say so multiple times in the commentary track is mostly because the film bombed at the box office like really badly and that they decided to make a parody of like Elvis films. Okay, so this is why I think Top Secret is maybe a disputable contender for this episode mm-hmm. because Airplane is a spoof of more than anything the 70s airport films. Yeah, but when I say spoof, what I'm specifically talking about is that Zaz style <laughs> because there's no other way for me to talk about this like wild craziness without using their output as the example y- of it. Yes, it's that, but there also has to be like an element of movie parody, mm. movie pastiche. Elvis movies in Top Secret. I'll give it to you, but just barely. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's massive musical numbers throughout. We, we should do, and you like like World and War like II cold, movies, yeah, exactly, and like kind of Cold War thrillers. But and it's stuff definitely like that. less specific than Airplane is. But that specificity is not that interesting for me. Well, I mean, it's interesting that Airplane has outlived any of the airport movies, like, and that as a kid. I didn't know what Airplane was parodying, yeah. but I loved it anyway, yeah. Like, because that was not a source of comedy for me. And I don't think anybody, even our age watching the movie now, that's a source for comedy for them either, mm-hmm. because they, they don't have that frame of reference of all those airport movies coming out. Yeah. I only saw one of those airport movies this year for the first time. <laughs> I know, I saw it with you. <laughs> and like, it didn't technically make Airplane any funnier, but it was interesting to see where it came from. Yeah. So yeah, Top Secret, I was very impressed by it. It has so many, it's just so dense with comedy and it's so dense with very complicated comedy. Yes. Like certain of the comic set pieces in this movie and not just the set pieces, some of the throwaway gags are just amazing <laughs> pieces of architecture. That's the thing about spoof <laughs> movies, especially Zaz films, is that the production 
that goes into making them, it gives me a headache just thinking yeah. about it. Even just a character holding like a giant thing of ice cream, like in Scary Movie 3. <laughs> I'm like, someone had to build that yeah. just for this lame joke happening. So just briefly, Top Secret is about Val Kilmer as a sort of Elvis-like mm-hmm. uh, rock star who I can't, what even is the plot? <laughs> uh, he goes to like a Russia-like country to uh, do a concert and he gets involved in like a political rebellion which leads to a long Blue Lagoon parody everybody remember Blue Lagoon right? Yeah (laughs) well there are a lot of like it's unclear exactly when the movie is set because Mm -hmm. there are times when it's like World War II but then there are references to you know Jimmy Carter and a lot of current stuff. And it's also a film that has probably one of the greatest comedy set pieces in any film ever which is the uh, cowboy fight that climaxes the film and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. Okay that 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 cowboy fight that fight scene is um i was watching it like jaw on the floor because the sequence the way it plays out <laughs> is that like it's funny like right from the get-go but then it's the layers that are added <laughs> on to the set piece it gets bigger and bigger and bigger well this is the internal logic yes. again because it has to for a scene like that to get as absurd as it does it has to start from a slightly logical place mm-hmm. and then it just pushes the logic a little further and then a little further and then a little further and that's what zaz does best is that when they take like something that it makes sense when you see it but why would anybody do that like the joke of val kilmer he's like painting outside his window in the uh train and then reveals that he's just painting like blurry trees (laughs) yeah so that fight scene is an amazing piece of architecture Mm -hmm. another one is the scene with peter cushing the backward scene yeah you know any of the musical sequences like there's that one bit when val kilmer and the girl are are dancing and they're doing exposition at the same time and they're doing the craziest the, dance yeah, in the world. Yeah, the dance gets increasingly more ridiculous as it's going along and you think, you know, this is a single take and these actors have to do all of these dance moves while delivering all this exposition. This is really hard work. I think that the thing with Zaz that frustrates me the most when it comes to the reaction of audiences is that it's dismissed very easily as like, oh, well, that's dumb. Like, it's like a pun. Like, it's easy to do. And they're going for the cheapest laugh when the construction of the jokes at their best are so complicated to deliver like a punchline. that's like, oh, <laughs> man, even a throwaway joke, like in the background of one scene where there's a giant statue of a pigeon and then... <laughs> And then, like, there were three guys on strings, like, uh, on wires, like, flapping their, flapping their arms like, like a bird, and they land on it. Yes. I, it's not funny when I describe it. And if you listen to, like, <laughs> them talk about the comedy, there's almost, like, a Kubrickian level of, like, precision to what they have to do. I don't know how they do it. Like, how does it stay funny to you when you, when you have to choreograph something that complicated? How well, do you lose, how do you not lose sight of the joke? If you listen to them talk about some of their later movies, they treat them with a lot of disdain. And a lot of the commentary tracks are filled with them making fun of the jokes. Right. Like there's this one joke in Scary Movie 3, which is a David Zucker joint, where a character is going through like the ring style, like death sequences, which she's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And like, she pretends to get her hand chopped off. She pretends to have like a heart attack. At one point she pretends to be electrocuted and she pisses herself. Mm-hmm. And you just hear David Zucker on the commentary go, oh man, that's, that's one too far, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess comedy comes in threes. <laughs> They obviously find this funny, but they can also distance themselves from it without feeling, I mean, their later movies, uh, pandering to the audience. Um, A little movie called An American Carol was probably his best film. (laughs) Let's save that until the end of this episode. (laughs) Um, So after Top Secret, I think that the Zazz group is defined by the Naked Gun series. Naked Gun 1, 
2, and then Naked Gun 3, which they produced but did not direct. Well, no. Uh, actually, what it was was the, they all made the first one, but then 2 and 3 were just... It was either Jerry or David. Oh, just one of them took it? And then I think Pat Proft was involved. Yeah, Pat Proft, who was one of their comedy partners. You see his name on a bunch of writing credits. He, like, produced some stuff. But, like, I think what's interesting about the Zuckers and Abrahams is that they always fought against the perception of their movies. Because, like, they could have just made, like, top secret and airplane-style comedies till the cows came home. But they were always fighting in other directions. Like, Jerry Zucker... Went on to direct Ghost, which got won tons of Academy Awards. The three of them also made uh, Ruthless People. Yeah, I never have seen it. I, th- I think I saw it on TV when I was a kid. Was it funny? I can't remember it, but but it's not like a spoof movie. And I think that the reason that they kept doing this is that like the movies that they were making, while people said it was hilarious... They just didn't have any respect for it. And it's tough to do something over and over again when people are like, well, this is funny, but it's dumb and it was probably made by dumb people. Well, it's a good thing David came to his senses and made an American <laughs> Carol later. What do you think happened to David Zucker? He 9-11 ca- I happens. was going to say 9-11, yeah. Where supposedly people that know him says he's still like a super funny guy. I heard an interview with him on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast yes. and I thought he was very funny and likable. And they did not talk about an American Carol. So what is an American Carol for people that don't know? Okay, yeah, we, we should maybe talk about it a bit. An American Carol was made in 2008 and it was released just weeks before Obama was elected Mm -hmm. and it is a parody of Michael Moore where uh, Michael Moore it's it's like a Christmas carol where he's uh, shown the history of war from mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. One of them is General Patton, and he's played by Kelsey Grammer. And the whole movie is basically a conservative defense of the Iraq War. The thesis is, well, Michael Moore is against the Iraq War. Um, um, newsflash, war isn't always bad uh, because it stopped the Nazis. I wonder if he's like a pro-Trump guy. I wonder. I don't know. I mean... An American Carol quite cynically uh, has, you know, a little bit of, uh, bit of stuff in there for the social conservatives. Mm-hmm. You know, has a bit of stuff in there for a lot of different factions of sort of the Bush uh, conservatism. But he's mostly a neocon. He's mostly into war. And it's not coming from the position of like, oh, I just want to make fun of the liberals because everybody's bad in their own way. It's a very specific, like, defense of, like you said, a neocon position. Yeah, it's a very interesting time capsule. <laughs> and it has all the conservatives celebrities. It has James Woods, Kelsey Grammer, um, you know, some who I'm forgetting now. But I mean, like David Zucker, when you talk about his later career, he was definitely like struggling because he made a movie like Basketball, (laughs) which was based on the fact that South Park was big and they wanted Trey Parker and Matt Stone to star in a movie. I never actually saw Basketball. And they supposedly hated each other when they made the film. Uh, It was a big uh, favorite of mine when I was a teenager. Trey, wait, Trey Parker and Matt Stone hated each other? Uh, no, they hated David Zucker. Oh, they did okay. not want to make this movie and they had no respect mm-hmm. for it. Interesting. Uh, I remember thinking it was one of the funniest movies of all time when I was a kid. I watched it a few years ago. Uh, yeah, it didn't really hold up as well as I remember. I should maybe look into it. I am a little curious about what a Trey Parker, Matt Stone, live action. Uh, you haven't seen Cannibal the Musical or Orgasmo? Uh, sorry, I have seen Orgasmo, but I'm thinking post-stardom. And when you're talking about spoof movies, it's impossible to escape the glut of 90s spoof pictures that came out because video stores needed content and there's no easier way to just make fun of something. 
most of them, yeah, straight to video, as you said. Like you just got plump fiction on DVD. <laughs> okay, it was two ninety five, <laughs> and when I picked up the DVD, I went, "Ooh, a commentary track." This is how to get Justin to buy a movie. And when I listen to the commentary track, it's absolutely worthwhile because the director of it, who has not directed a theatrical film since, but went on to do like the worst sitcoms in the world is very like honest about the movie he made and why he made these decisions while still having that touch of like he doesn't know why these things are funny (laughs) like he doesn't quite understand like what kind of movie that he's making or what the beats he should hit which is the perfect kind of commentary well you know plump fiction is on youtube and this morning i watched 10 minutes of it and then i said you know what it's a nice sunny day maybe i should go outside (laughs) and then you walked all the way to my house Right. not close the time that i would have spent watching plump fiction i spent walking a long distance to justice oh uh, you know i know that we're getting near the end of us talking about spoofs but i want to talk about oh no far from it because we still have a lot of territory <laughs> i but i do want to talk about just kind of what it means to like start spoofing something and i i i'm talking about specifically a place like italy where they made so many movies so quickly that what ended up happening is they started spoofing them and mm. what a spoof series meant for example spaghetti westerns when bud spencer and terrence hill started making their um trinity series which are like spoofs of those kind of movies that was the death knell to that genre that that's actually like that with a lot of genres it's like abbott mm. and costello meet frankenstein you yeah. know when some long-running series or long-running cycle eventually mm-hmm. i know people were predicting it a few years ago with deadpool that mm-hmm. it might be like that with superheroes but that doesn't seem to have been the case nope you just look at airplane as well that was pretty much the death knell for those kind of movies as well that like disaster uh, kind of picture and I mean Top Secret was tackling Elvis musicals so they were pretty (laughs) much on their way out at that point and there's something kind of a bummer about that I feel because the idea of spoofing something and saying like look how dumb this is I guess Scary Movie too was also like the end of that 90s horror cycle yeah yeah, which was like I know what you did last summer Mm -hmm. etc etc and when Scary Movie continued to go onward it was not only diminishing returns but they didn't know what to parody anymore. Like the fifth one was a parody of Mama. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if if Harvey Weinstein weren't currently, yeah. you know, um, in hiding, I'm sure he would be greenlighting a, another scary movie because you know it and stuff like get that. out yeah. uh, the the a uh, a haunted house is here to take that burden uh, of the scary movie franchise you're very right but like the 90s the way that they were able to get so many spoof movies in is that they would just utilize the titles of the movies that they were parodying <laughs> like the aforementioned plump fiction <laughs> uh the very funny fatal instinct which was directed by carl reiner mm. um which features an amazing lead performance by armand asante who mm. like does it completely straight and that's why it's as funny as it is i mean carl reiner is a guy who would do spoofs as well like dead men don't wear played is like a straight up spoof mm-hmm. of the noir genre implementing clips from those films to actually kind of underline what's funny about it but he's not someone that people usually talk in terms of like ah the masters of the spoof <laughs> or i mean if you look at a list of like best spoof films um spinal tap is on there and i'm like i guess uh, not, it's it's different like the 90s was also kind of the death knell of the spoof movie but then it came back in a big way with it, scary movie yeah it did a film that once again as a teenager oh man was it funny uh, so it does not hold up well i haven't seen it since uh, i think the year 2000 mm-hmm. when i saw it at a sleepover birthday party and i'll tell you it killed at that sleepover birthday did party it? that scene 
the sex scene where he takes off her panties and she's got like a giant like, bush. like huge bush and then he like brings a weed whacker to it mm-hmm. and then there's the big ejaculation scene yeah uh so sorry guys content warning <laughs> that's what, stuff that you're not supposed to see i think Wait. all of our eyes just popped out of our heads <laughs> watch that and you know which two writers wrote that scene which which writers uh jason friedberg and aaron seltzer Wait, are you talking about the movie movie guys? That's right. From two of the six writers of Scary Movie comes Date Movie. Ah, man. Now, I I revisited two of the Seltzer Friedberg oeuvre for this podcast. I was a little bit too old to get into those movies when they were coming out. It was never something that I had any affinity for. And I don't even think I saw any of them in their entirety until a few years ago i watched the starving games with matthew kumar (laughs) i was definitely too old for them and in fact i remember when they came out just regarding them with like utter contempt really like like, good god like the barbarians are at the gate we have to (laughs) we have to do something about this this is this is wrong and you know and what's wrong about them in a way that like it's not wrong about airplay. I know what it is. Let's just like lay it out. Well, it's line. not funny. Yeah. There's not really jokes in these movies, mm-hmm. which is kind of shocking coming from two guys who worked very closely with David Zucker mm-hmm. in his late period of his career. Like they wrote Scary Movie 3 with David Zucker. Mm-hmm. So they were learning from the best who was kind of on the downward slope <laughs> of his career. Yeah, I'm sure he still had gold to give them. And they turned into stuff like Date Movie, which at first seemed to be like they were in on the joke. Like the DVD has commentary with them. It also has commentary with critics that are like, what is this movie? Like, I can't like, look at that. That was a funny funny. joke. Having that as a, as an extra feature. There's like a 10 minute, like sped up version of the movie or like a version (laughs) with just farts or something like that. Like this was the beginning of DVD where they wanted the home viewing experience to have extra jokes that the movie wouldn't have. And, And also the common rap on Friedberg and Seltzer is that, you know, they weren't satirical of these movies. All they were were just references. And so, that's completely true. It is true. So, for example, I watched um, Epic Movie and there's a scene where you see Borat and he's wearing, you know, that green bikini. Mm-hmm. And the movie's set in Narnia. And he <laughs> says, he says, I'm a Borat. I am a number one journalist in Narnia. And then it cuts to something else. And it cuts back to Borat and he's like kissing a woman. He says, this is my sister. She is number one prostitute in all of Narnia. And then it cuts to something else. It's like, that's just the joke from Borat. All they do is not only make a reference, is they tell you what that reference is. Oh my God. Every single time in Meet the Spartans, which me and Will watch together, (laughs) like voiceover tells you what the joke is. Like an Ugly Betty impersonator comes up. Remember Ugly Betty? An Ugly Betty impersonator is there and somebody says, it's Ugly Betty. And the joke is, this is the prettiest woman in 300 land and it's Ugly Betty. That's the joke. And I mean, the thing is, Ugly Betty, she's already called Ugly Betty. Yeah. Calling her ugly... Okay, but, you know, even... even We don't want to list all the jokes of these bad movies. honestly, like, who even gives a shit? Watching these two movies this week, I no longer felt the same sense of indignation that I felt 10 years ago. Oh, really? Well, I mean, they're bad, but it's also like... But it's also like, yeah, for the landfill, right? Like, it's not like these are movies that are being held up as the comedy standards. These are ephemeral movies for Mm -hmm. children, Mm -hmm. so... But who are these two guys? Because... They don't really do many interviews, except for one amazing one that appeared on Grantland. What is it called again? It's like... Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but just search Jason Friedberg, Aaron Seltzer, Grantland, Mm -hmm. and it's a really great profile of them. And it goes into the fact that, like, they're not just churning these out with a stone face to make money. Like, 
they kind of want these to be funny. Well, they were screenwriters for years Mm -hmm. and they had so many screenplays that they wrote and sold that just never got produced. Mm -hmm. Like in the 90s, they wrote an action film for Jackie Chan and uh, his asking price was too high, but the studio liked it. So they did some script doctoring work on Double Team. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, they sold their the pitch for Scary Movie. Mm. And then the Wayans brothers took it over. And then, you know, their big dream project was a biopic of Liberace. I swear <laughs> to God. which They're like, Steven Soderbergh got in there before us. <laughs> and for a long time, it had Nicolas Cage attached. You know, I mentioned on our Steven Soderbergh episode that Steven Soderbergh likes to take like screenwriters who work on shit and give them like a chance to do right. How amazing would it be if he took those two guys? Well, he's already made a Liberace movie, I'm afraid. <laughs> I know. But like on another project, because... Mm-hmm. As you look at the movies that they made through their career, you can feel them going, why should we even try? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't we just do jokes from trailers of movies that haven't even come out yet? Or it's like, you know, Paris Hilton will show up. But it never reaches that level of like anti-comedy, right? Like the Tim and Eric kind of thing. Why do you think that is? I th- yeah, they, they want to be a little clever. Mm-hmm. They they want to be airplane. I think it's weird. They are simultaneously cynical and also they want it to be funny. It's neither a funny movie and it's also not just like a completely stupid exercise in anti-comedy. Mm-hmm. Do you if, s- if it was anti-comedy, if it had just been just a little bit dumber. Yeah, or just a little bit lamer. I then mean, it could be Freddy Got Fingered. Yeah, we watch Meet the Spartans and there's a You Got Served parody that goes on for 10 minutes and they're just dancing. There's no jokes. Like they're just dancing. <laughs> we watched Meet the Spartans at 1.7 speed. It still felt slow. Yeah. And it was an hour long. And don't worry, we missed nothing. <laughs> no, we did not. I, earlier today, I watched Epic Movie on 1.5 speed. And I got to say, I quite enjoyed it. Oh, did you? At 1.5 speed, it is a hallucinatory experience. There's just so <laughs> many. I mean, it's it's better a little bit than Meet the Spartans because Epic Movie just has more stuff in it. And they're still theatrically released at that point. Wait, I think Meet the Spartans was also theatrically released. I think it opened at number one at the box office. It did it? Yeah, I think so. That's (laughs) crazy. And and it is as nothing a movie as has ever been made. I mean... It takes place on one set. Epic Movie is like an epic movie next Mm. to it. I mean, it's just got so many more things it's doing. It has so many more movie parodies. Mm. Yeah, Meet the Spartans is just... Most of it, as you said, is on one set, and most of it is just one joke, which is 300 is kind of gay. Over and over and over again. And the whole thing before the credits, the credits roll at, I think, the 64-minute mark. Oh, yeah. Probably earlier. I think the 62-minute mark. Like, it's brutal. And the credits are padded with deleted scenes. A musical number. Oh, yeah. An American Idol music number. Yeah, there's a Sanjaya impersonator in it. (laughs) Which Will knew who that was, and I had no idea. There's references to, like, Britney Spears. There's a Britney Spears impersonator from like that era when she was shaving her head. In the first 10 minutes, Will went, I wonder if there's going to be any Lindsay Lohan content in this. And boom, they pulled it out right in the last minute. (laughs) There's a Lindsay Lohan joke where she's leaving rehab and I think she gets hit by something and flies in the air. Like, that's the joke. I wonder what this movie would be like to somebody who is 10 years younger than us. It must be... Nothing. Like, it makes no sense to them. Yeah, it would need, like, annotations. But that's why something like Airplane is still funny to anyone any age Mm -hmm. and like these epic movies are nothing Mm. because you can't be making fun of something i feel like if you number one have no respect for it and number two think your audience is dumb 
And also, I'm going to do as little effort as possible. I'm not, like, satirically, like, making fun of this. All I'm saying is, you hate this one thing. Here is that thing being hit in the face with balls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's all the movies are. So we've made the controversial statement that we think Epic Movie and Meet the Spartans are not very good. Do you think there's a place for these kind of spoofs, though? Like, do they even exist in this media landscape where stuff gets gobbled up so fast that, like, it's gone within a day? Yeah, that's a really good question. And like, there are fewer sort of mass culture things mm. than there were. I mean, you know, there's there's Star Wars and there's Marvel Comics. Movies. I mean, um, they're making a Star Wars parody. So. They, we saw that on IMDb today. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they did a Fast and Furious parody. So there are there are definitely like certain big mass mm. culture things that everyone sees, but there are fewer of them. But if you look at something like the way that memes propagate, which it, the joke is not even a parody of it but just permutations it can take. And that's what the joke is, right? Do you remember we saw that movie at the What the Film Festival, Mango Shake? Yes. Is that kind of like that? Uh, I mean, like, yeah. So Mango Shake, it's funny because no one can watch it. Like, uh, I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's the perfect example of like, what teenagers think comedy is now, <laughs> which is a mixture of like very heartfelt drama, which just nonsense adult swim craziness. Yeah. And it's all kind of mixed together. Cause I guess something like adult swim kind of killed the parody movie. Right. I guess. Because that anti-comedy kind of, Look at all this absurdity of these things. We're not saying they're dumb. We're just kind of deconstructing them in a ridiculous way. And that's well, why it's well, like, funny. Tim and Eric mm-hmm. is like what epic movie Meet and the Spartans should be. Like t- Tim and, and Eric. And they, they yeah. were kind of on the same path, right? So they couldn't mm-hmm. do what Tim and Eric was doing. But like Tim and Eric is also in all the things that they parody are very meticulous. Yes. You know, they have the aesthetic mm-hmm. of everything absolutely stone cold but i feel like tim and eric like one of their go-to gags is like the destruction of the thing that they're parodying and watching it kind of like fall apart which ends with one of them screaming on camera and like that's not what like zaz would do Mm. they would do something different and now i don't know zaz are more affectionate about the things they parody yeah and i don't know if that kind of silliness has a place anymore but i feel like it does i feel like there's going to be a film that does that kind of like wacky Mad Magazine Zaz style stuff. And it's going to work in a way that like it doesn't treat its stuff dumb, but it's just very affectionate toward it. Well, listen, Mel Brooks is still alive. Mm. I think he is 92. <laughs> Spaceballs 2. He may have... Three after the animated <laughs> web series that came out? Yeah, he may he may still have one more in him. <laughs> I mean, uh, our friend Peter Kaplowski... Uh, really wants to do a parody film. Like, that's all he wants to do. And he's like, we can make it a parody of, like, A24 film. I'm like, wow, that's very specific. He's like, a Swiss Army man comes out and he's just, like, a Swiss Army knife. I would be interested in seeing a parody of A24 movies. But, like, (sighs) that's so specific that I don't know if it would work. If you kind of construct the gags out of, oh, look at this thing you know, look at it in a dumber (laughs) way, then you're just making a movie movie. Yeah. All right, so uh, bring it back. If anybody has millions of dollars, I'll make a spoof movie for you. Uh, what could I spoof? Politics in the world today. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's immoral to laugh in the world now. Yeah, I yeah, agree. There's too much suffering. So send us letters at importcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. No letters this week. No letters this What's week. What's wrong, Shocking. guys? Oh, you know what? We've had letters on, I think, the last 20, 25 episodes. And some of the times we've had like four or five letters. So, so. that's fine. Like, we'll take mm. a break this week, but I hope to have some letters soon. And you can uh, check out our Patreon episode this week. As per usual, it's like patreon.com slash the Important Cinema Club podcast. 
This week, we talk about Super Troopers. <laughs> I, I know that the world, to steal a Will Sloan turn of phrase, has Super Troopers fever right now because Super Troopers 2 was recently released in cinemas. Do we love it? Do we quote it all the time? Or is it a movie that we don't understand? Check out our Patreon episode and you can find out. It's $5 a month and you get four episodes every month. And we're doing something a little different next week. We're taking the week off, except... If you are a Patreon subscriber, because Justin and I are going to Rochester, New York, to go to the Nitrate Picture Show, Mm -hmm. a weekend film festival where they show an assortment of, I don't know, 10 maybe classic films on nitrate film stock. Mm -hmm. So if we don't die... (laughs) <laughs> if if somebody doesn't light a match in the theater, yep, uh, they're like, we know Will and Justin are in the audience. This is our chance. We will be doing a, a special uh, full length Patreon episode mm-hmm. about our experience at the festival and all the movies we saw and the uh, particular, um, uh, dare I say, sexual allure of Nitrate <laughs> film. <laughs> and the uh, regular episode will be back in two weeks with something. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know what it is yet. We'll probably well, say it on that Patreon episode. Probably something a little more serious. Yeah, uh, we're going to be doing. Robert song <laughs> oh man remember so we'll see we'll see okay. yeah, l- let's see what we see at the nitrate picture show and if they're all laughs then we'll be good and if they're not then we can do something uh serious okay um i'd also like to thank people that became patreon subscribers uh this month we have peter fishbeast daniel s thomas johnston uh scotty gilmer kevin senny and steven rice thank you very much for becoming patreon subscribers we uh crack the 100 patreon subscriber uh ceiling and we're gonna push for 150 so if you're on the fence and you're like well i don't know maybe i should maybe i shouldn't if you do we're gonna do a commentary track when we hit 150 for a very special movie. Should I say what it is or should we like build it up for people to like figure out what it is? Man, I'm torn. Because uh, I'm very excited about it. Okay, let us just say it's a movie that we'll be able to actually sync up and do like we did for Detour and put it on YouTube. By which you mean it's in the public domain. Yes, it is. Well, like in the gray zone of public domain. And it stars one of our favorite actors. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to give it away. Okay. But we want to hit 150, so become a Patreon subscriber now, and it's very much appreciated. Uh, as per usual, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, DeClue J, your... Uh, Will Sloan, ESQ. And I'm Justin DeClue on Letterboxd. And go to Filmtrap.com to uh, see notes on this episode. I will also post my like probably top five favorite spoof movies uh most of them that i did not mention on this episode repossessed <laughs> yeah the classic liam neeson exorcist parody mm. and uh, leslie nielsen yeah <laughs> i always as a kid i would always get him confused and i still get him confused now uh and who can forget um stan helsing oh oh god i saw <laughs> Which, stan helsing did you yeah. why I, I was reviewing it for a publication that's the actual worst movie ever made and that even has like a parody of the scary movie like cover where they're all in like movie scenes uh, no shit. stan helsing i mean friedberg and seltzer are so much better than stan helsing really i swear to god patreon episode <laughs> yeah let's do it <laughs> all right so until then my name is justin the glue i'm will sloan thanks for listening so I'm glad that we have the end of the episode here to really, like, focus in on a movie. In this particular case, Jane Austen's Mafia. A title that is not funny in any way. I see there's an exclamation point at the end of it. I actually find the title 
quite endearing because really? I think it's supposed to be like Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Mm. So like Jane Austen's Mafia. And you but can't it, help but laugh when you pick up that cover and it has like dynamite with yeah. like, um, uh, who is the final actor that's uh, in this movie? Lloyd Bridges. Who gets a uh, in memory of yeah. because he passed away before the film came out. But the fact they called it Jane Austen's Mafia, which is not a very funny joke. And also like can only be counterproductive to marketing the film. Like it makes no sense. So the fact they did that, I find very endearing. I think that it's kind of weird that they would go to parody The Godfather mm. out of everything that they could do. Like, when you look at Jim Abraham's career, he did stuff like Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Two, which were very clearly doing Top Gun and Rambo. Mm -hmm. And then you have The Godfather, which it feels like him reaching out for a property that everybody would know that he could lay a framework of gags And on. Godfather is pretty tired. Like, it's been, <laughs> yeah. it's been spoofed to death. This is Jim Abraham's without the Zuckers. Yes. And it's about, I would say, one-third is funny as air, Oof, that's rough so did you just sit there with a stone face the entire time when i you chuckled watching? occasionally you yeah. know i went into this movie perhaps with heightened expectations because i know that you and especially peter kaplowski yeah but when you hear peter talks about it it's from a place of distinct nostalgia and that's the only like he likes the barney character who does a dance at the end <laughs> oh, no sorry it's a um it's not the barney that dances barney, barney gets, gets killed with a spear <laughs> well that's, that's pretty tired shit well i thought the movie started pretty well because it it's, it's maybe 70% Godfather, 30% Casino. Yes. And it Oh, man. That Casino opening has some of the best gags where yeah. you see all the funny games and one of them is like, guess a number. And he's like, three. Uh, no, you lose. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's funny. And also what's funny is in the first scene where it opens like Casino does, where he like starts his car and the car explodes. And yeah. it's like the credits play over the fiery montage. Yeah. <laughs> But but when when Jay Moore is in the fire, he's like dunking a basketball and <laughs> yeah. he's catching a frisbee. I laughed during that, and that really primed me. It's like okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be a lot of laughs. But unfortunately, again, the jokes I think lack a certain element of surprise. Really? Well, <laughs> like, but the Forrest Gump parody. I don't. Oh know. man, I don't remember very much of Mafia. <laughs> the last time I saw it was at the end of a twenty-four hour movie marathon. It was the last movie we watched. <laughs> Gotta say, funniest thing I had ever seen. But that was probably. <laughs> well, my delirium. You're like Sam Neill and in the mouth of madness <laughs> yeah. at that point. I'm like, <laughs> but when I was a kid and I had the VHS, I watched it over and over and over again. Okay, so another yeah. example is the El Nino, very topical. Yeah, <laughs> big trailer moment. Uh, the wedding scene where Lloyd Bridges is like at his desk, like Don Vito Corleone, mm. and uh, and he gets up and then he just starts falling over everything, <laughs> yep. like, like he gets his his head caught in the window or something. It's it's. I was watching that kind of thinking. I should be laughing at this, but I just sort of expected this to happen. Now, do you think that like Zaz has only so many gags they can do? Like, because that gag is like the hilarious bit in the opening of Naked Gun where O.J. Simpson. Uh, gets caught by the criminals that he's stalking and he like lands against a wet wall mm -hmm. and he's like oh no and then he like lands in a birthday cake well I was definitely conscious while watching Jane Austen's Mafia that there are certain I'm glad you can put the full title every time you say it <laughs> or as I say Jane Austen's Mafia because <laughs> yeah. that's an exclamation mark <laughs> But I was, Rest in peace, Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> I was definitely conscious of the fact that they have certain ideas that they return to over yeah. and over again, like 
people falling downstairs, people being hit, people getting kicked in the nuts. Um, like Jim Abrahams doesn't lean into the wordplay in the way that the he would mm. do with the Zuckers, which I think mm. is missing from their films. I mean, even David Zucker, as he went deeper into his career, he would stop doing the kind of word gags. And like Scary Movie 3, underrated, I have to say, mm. is filled with people being hit in the nuts. Like that's all it is. I definitely enjoy a good uh, not hitting gag occasionally. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Getting back to An American Carol, one of the interesting things about it is how much it wants to hurt the Michael Moore character. Mm-hmm. He's constantly being hit and and he's falling and, and in a way that seems like very personal, like they actually want to see physical pain on Michael Moore. But because of that, occasionally I laughed. Well, I mean, Mafia <laughs> does have like big, broad jokes that do tie back into like the classics mm-hmm. that they used to do. Like, you know, the joke where he survives the explosions and he's all like destroyed and horrible looking yeah. and everyone starts vomiting, including the horse. I wasn't so wild about that. You know, what? I, the, the, if you were there with me, you would have laughed. Probably. I mean, <laughs> at, at a start of my rating, if I saw it with you and Peter, yeah. the gag that I thought was really funny was a more conceptual gag where it's uh, Christina Applegate has become the president yeah. and she's gone to this like like UN conference for all world peace and like the Pope is there, Saddam Hussein is there, the Dalai Lama's there and they're all going to sign this document but then Jay Moore comes and and, and <laughs> she sees him and it's like what are you doing here and he, and he says I wanted to show you your son. I was going to say this joke, <laughs> it's so good. And, and she's like I'm a mother. (laughs) That's such a funny joke. And then she's caught up in this and then they don't end up signing the peace treaty. (laughs) Yep. So that's funny. I mean, that's how Naked Gun starts, where it's like a meeting of all the um, like political bigwigs at the time. Yeah. And wait, who does like uh, Leslie Nielsen like wipes away the birthmark of Gorbachev? Yeah, Gorbachev. yeah, 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 yeah. Good joke. And, you know, Mafia, okay, so if you don't like it that much, I can understand. Like, I don't you, hate it, though. You didn't see it on Blu-ray, though, right? The new remastered version, which is coming out this week, which we should have announced. That's why we're doing this episode, because it's in honor of Mafia finally coming to Blu-ray. Well, listen, uh, if you're a Mafia head, as I know that some people are, that sounds like a good investment. Any Commentary special- track. Holy shit. <laughs> Who's putting it out? Uh, I believe Kino is putting it out. All right. Yeah. I mean, Kino will just release anything. You know what? They're doing God's work. Uh, Listen, I'm really glad that as you were talking about the thing about the UN and someone giving a speech, you reminded me what Jerry Zucker's last film was. Do you know what it is? Yes, I do. It was Rat (laughs) Rat Race. (laughs) Isn't it amazing he hasn't made a movie since Rat Race? I think he probably decided, I said everything I have to say with Rat Race. Going out on top. Yeah, because, you know, Rat Race has a lot to say about, you know, America, about capitalism, you know. But Rat Race is a film that made me realize, wow, some comedies are not funny, even though that there's one good gag in it. And it's the, uh, the Hitler, the Hitler gag, yeah. yeah. And that's another example of like a joke building on top of another joke. And that's why it's that funny. You know, Rat Race is a lot like, you know, not just in its plot. It's a lot like it's a mad, 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 mad world, world because it's not particularly funny, but it has so much stuff happening in it that you're kind of under the impression that it's funny. Uh, as a kid, I remember looking at it and going, I like all these people. There's John Cleese. There's Mr. Bean. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they making me laugh? Mm-hmm. Like... Mr. Bean is just doing, like, generic Mr. Bean shtick. It even ends with my favorite band in the world. Oh, Smash yeah, Mouth. Smash Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> giving a concert at the end. The, the funniest part of that is when one of John Lovitz's kids yells, It's Smash Mouth! 
And then, of course, they play All Star and all, <laughs> yeah. the, all the rat racers are on stage dancing with them. My other favorite part of Rat Race, <laughs> we're, going, we're going pretty long. Bonus Rat Race episode. Patreon. <laughs> My other favorite part of Rat Race is, you know, after John Cleese has yeah. had them at the meeting where he says, you know, you, you should all uh, go to this place to get the money. They all race out. And as they're racing down the stairs, who let the dogs out plays? <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Who, as you know, Rowan Atkinson is running down the stairs because they are the dogs. I don't understand why, like, Jerry Zucker made, like, Ghost. He made First Night. Then he made Rat Race. And he went, that's all I want to do. That's it. It's a baffling trajectory. And I don't understand why Hollywood just kind of, like dusted their hands of him. Well, a few weeks after Rat Race came out, uh, 9-11 happened. Mm. And... America just wasn't in the mood to laugh anymore. No, they weren't. Yeah.